0: Good morning, good to see y'all, you seem a little happier this morning, rain will do that to people won't it, isn't the Lord good, amen, amen. we're grateful uh, for the rain that he provided, I know not everybody got the same amount, um, I'm not going to make any assumptions on that, We won't ju- this is a non-judging place, uh, but the Lord has blessed us with rain and we're incredibly grateful. If you're visiting with us, we're very glad that you've come and uh, taken the time out of your Sunday to to worship with us. There's a way for you to let us know that you were with us today. There's a QR code in the bulletin. It's also on the screen if you're watching at home. If you can scan that, it will bring up a bulletin. You can scroll down to the bottom. It will have a place for you to uh, let us know a little bit about you. A few announcements regarding our schedule today. Uh, ladies' Prayer Group will meet at 6, 6.30. We will finish our study in the side-by-side book. Um, we have a normal Wednesday for one more Wednesday, right? Okay, so, so this, this coming Wednesday is the last uh, of our, you know, normally when we have our Wednesday night children's stuff, it, don't, it doesn't go through the summer. Normally it stops at the end of April, first part of May. So this coming Wednesday is the last Wednesday night of children's activities. Is is the ladies' study going to continue for a while? We will have one more week. One more week, okay. We'll meet Okay. That will be our last Okay. Because my, uh, that that first Wednesday of May is our senior, um, senior social, senior recognition. Um, at any rate, um, other announcements related to what's going on in our church. Um, if you noticed, Arctic Barnabas, that the box, that the donation box is overflowing. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, there's still time for you if you'd like to donate to that. Uh, the shipment will go out this week. Uh, reminder that next Sunday is Lord's Supper. Now, next Sunday is a fifth Sunday. And we're not having lunch. And I know that, that breaks some of you. Like you'll be, you'll be wrong for the, until we have another Fifth Sunday meal on a Fifth Sunday, but we don't have a Fifth Sunday meal next week we had last weekend. But we will have the Lord's Supper, and we will uh, have a movie night in the Fellowship Hall next Sunday night. There's still time for you to give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Uh, we have not yet reached our goal. Our goal is $6,000. We're just under $3,500, so please continue to pray how you might give to that. Um, Also, uh, summer missions. There are a couple of of summer mission trips um, that are in need of some support. There's one mission trip that's going to Alaska to actually serve with Arctic Barnabas there, and they need $2,750 to meet their trip needs. And then also there's a trip going to uh, Wisconsin, uh, and that needs $1,400. And if you'd like to contribute to one or both of these, you can uh, put it in a special envelope, designate, such on your check, however you'd like to do that. And if you have any questions related to that, you can contact Brandon. Is there anything I need to add to that, Brandon? Okay. All right. Very good. Um, I think that's it in terms of announcements. Does anyone else have announcements that we need to make? Anyone back? Anyone? All right. Well, then let's stand and we'll have our call to worship. There's lots of reasons that you might have come to church today. You know, we like being around people that uh, we love and enjoy their presence um, we may like good singing uh, we may like to uh, hope that the pastor's going to preach a good sermon if you like to hear a good sermon uh, there's all kinds of reasons why we might have shown up today but the key one is that we're here to to worship a risen savior every other religion who has a central figure uh, in their religion, They're, that person is dead. You can go to their tomb. There, you could dig up their body if, if you know, if you so wanted to. But, but not so with Christianity. Our Savior, our God, is a living God. We serve a living God. Um, he can. He Christ lives and reigns to this day, and we look forward to the day when He returns and takes us home to be with Him. But in the meantime, we're called to gather. Uh, one day there'll be one huge gathering. And I look forward to that. The singing's gonna be good. I'm sure there'll be cooked banana pudding because <laughs> Sue will be there. <laughs> but it's gonna be a good day when we're all together. But for the time being, we're apart in different churches all around the world. And we've come together to worship our Lord. So let's say our call to worship together. It's this week's memory verse, Romans 12, 9 and 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let's worship together.
1: Was super profound. I wanted to reread it. Isaiah 43, verse 25, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins.
2: Children.
1: Good morning. Do any of you guys have your driver's license yet? No? So you don't drive? But you see signs on the highway, right? Your brother drive? <laughs> oh, my. Have you guys ever seen a sign like this? You have? In Cherokee, have you seen a sign? I've, what is this? What does this say? One way. I don't know of any one-way streets in Cherokee, but um, everywhere else I go, I see one-way signs. Well, if you go the other direction on a one way street what happens? you'll get pulled over over. you could get a ticket (laughs) what else could happen? You you could get in a wreck exactly so when we have instructions to go one way but we don't pay attention and we go the other way we can get in trouble right this reminded me of one of my very favorite passages of scripture and it's my favorite because it's uh where i opened my very first bible i've told y'all that story i showed you my bible i just opened it and pointed and said that's going to be my favorite verse and it was in the 14th chapter of john and it says let not your heart be troubled You believe in God, believe also in me. This is what Jesus was telling his friends, his disciples, right before he was crucified. Because he was getting ready to go somewhere. Where was he going? He was going to the cross. And then where did he go? To heaven, exactly. So he was going somewhere and he said, don't worry because I'm going to come back and get you and I'm going to prepare a place for you where I'm going in heaven because in my father's house are many mansions. That's what my little King James Bible says. That's my This Bible, my new Bible that I've been using for 43 years, um, <laughs> It says dwelling places. In my father's house are many dwelling places. So don't be worried because I'm going to go prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back and get you. And then he said, uh, uh, if I go, you know the way. And they said, how can we know the way? We don't even know where you're going. And he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's only one way, right? It's not to the right or the left. It's not backwards. It's not down. There's only one way. And so we look up to Jesus to know the way. Um, Then... In Acts, in the the book of Acts, the writer of Acts, Dr. Luke, said, And there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's only one way. Uh, And then Paul said in his letter to Timothy, For there is one God, and there is one mediator you know what a mediator is? Anybody? Say mediator. Mediator. (laughs) A mediator is somebody that makes peace between two people, two parties that are in conflict with each other. Maybe they hate each other. Well, ever since the fall of man, we've been in conflict with God. And so Jesus Christ is the only... Mediator, the only person, that and he's God, but the only person that can bring peace between God the Father and all of us sinful humans. So there is one way, one God, one mediator. So every time you see a sign like this, wherever you're driving, Don't just look at it and say, well, that's a street sign, and I'm supposed to just go this way. Look at this and think, oh, my goodness, the Bible tells us there is only one way to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that there are signs all around us that we can see and be reminded that you are our Savior. You are the only way that we can have peace with God that you are our mediator you make peace for us with God the Father and Lord we just praise you for that we're thankful father we're thankful for everything you do thank you for the rain thank you for these beautiful children thank you for your their parents who bring them here to learn about you father we love you and we're here this morning to worship and praise your holy name and in Jesus name we pray these things amen
0: well, I hope you've enjoyed our hymn of the month, Christ, our hope in life and death. Um, I've, I've chosen specifically each Sunday to bring to our attention what our only comfort is in life and death, so that when we sing this song, not only on Sunday mornings, but I think it's probably bouncing around some of your heads during the week to so remember that this psalm sings a lot of very deep, significant truth for us. So, would you stand? And I'm going to ask the question, and we will all say the answer together. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Let's sing.
1: could have the ushers come forward for the offering. Please be seated. I'm sorry. Lost track of myself. Jack, if you'd pray for us, please, sir.
0: Would you please take your copy of God's Word turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. Um, we are back in our sermon series, Love the Lord Your God. We're still in the part of that command, which is to love the Lord with all your mind, actually in part 4 today. We're going to turn to a well-known section of scripture um, specifically in terms of of thought life. Um, So if you didn't bring a copy of God's Word, you should find uh, a Bible in the pew somewhere around you. Turn to the back. Find page 156. You'll be at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And this is God's Word. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Let's pray. Father, there's there's much to digest here. It's a short verse, some easy things to to process but there's a lot to digest in terms of um, holding up scripture as a mirror so that we might see what what are the things that we dwell upon how do they affect our life and are we dwelling on things that are true and honorable and right pure lovely of good repute are they excellent or worthy of praise or knowing how important our mind is to our growth and Christ-likeness. Would you impress upon our hearts and upon our minds the truth in this verse, draw us into it, and specifically, Lord, draw us into glad application of what we see here. We pray this for the sake of your Son and in his name. Amen. You may be seated. The key word, if you're a person who writes in your Bible, some of you might think that's anathema. You should not do that. It goes against Scripture somehow. Um, But if you write in your Bible, if you want to know what the main verb is, the the most important word in this text is the word dwell. The key word in this morning's text is the main verb. It's It's the word dwell. In most other translations, that word that the New American Standard translates as dwell, most other translations, uh, they translate it as think instead of dwell. I chose to use the New American Standard because I think it captures uh, the the use of the word well in that it has a, a present continuous meaning to it. In other words, in the Greek, it's a present continuous command. So think of it in in these terms. When you read that word, think, then here's what you ought to read. Think and keep thinking. Or continuously think. Or if you're using an NASB or the CSB, read dwell and keep dwelling. Or continuously dwell. So because that's how the scripture records this command, it would be a grave mistake for us to underestimate the importance of the mind and our understanding of what it means to be human, particularly what it means to be truly human. Because for us as Christians, it's of great importance to be aware that our state of mind and what we dwell upon greatly affects our life, our daily life, and our walk with Christ. Now this point is driven home consistently by the Lord in the Bible. You think back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. There Moses, people are about to go into the promised land. Not quite yet because Joshua is going to be the one to lead them there. But before then, they're on the plains of Moab and they're they're waiting to go in. And Moses tells them, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Here's what I want to impress upon us. These words, Moses says, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. In other words, think about them. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates. In other words, they were to keep the word of God in front of them. And this is important specifically in the life of Israel at this point. They had just come out of Egypt, which undoubtedly had a great influence on how they thought, how they viewed the world, what they considered to be right and wrong, what their purpose was in the world. I think it's safe to say If you turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, where it talks about the depravity of mankind, that Egypt would have epitomized that depravity. So therefore, Moses is telling these people, you have to lay aside your old way of thinking. You're not in Egypt anymore. Put God's word continually in front of you. Dwell on it. Joshua drove home the same point in chapter 1, verse 8. Joshua 1.8 says, This this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. So having left behind Egypt and, and poised to enter the promised land, a place that's flowing with milk and honey is filled with paganism and idolatry. So Israel, when they go in to take the promised land, not only would they have to conquer physical enemies, but there would be spiritual enemies they would have to conquer in order for them to enjoy the bounty, the blessings of being in this new land. So here we see in the Old Testament, and there are other places we could go, but here in these two verses, both Moses and Joshua command the Israelites to dwell on God's word. Well, nothing has changed since then. What is true is, What was true for the Israelites is is also true for us as Christians. Turn back just a page or two in your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. There's a a verse there, a couple of verses I want to read to us. It's, It's verses 12 and 13. Paul writes So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we, as Christians, have to work out what God has worked in us. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, tells us one thing that God has worked in us. At the end of that verse, 1 Corinthians 2, 16, Paul says... But we have the mind of Christ. Whereas before we were unable to think God's thoughts after Him. But now, having been regenerated as Christians, the power of our old mind is broken now. We now have the mind of Christ. But that still means that we have to grow in our knowledge and in our familiarity of the mind of Christ within us. We do that through dwelling. Through dwelling on God's word. Another way to think about the word dwell here in the text. And it's easy for us to, to grab a hold of this, this picture. is to picture a cow chewing some cud. Okay, So they've, they've swallowed whatever it is they've eaten. But they're going to bring it back up and they're going to chew on it. Now that's what we do with God's word. We are, every week, we are putting into our minds, whether it's our daily Bible reading or it's in our memory verse, we're putting something in our minds. But to dwell on it means not just to memorize it, but just like that cow, just bring it up. And don't, don't think of something gross here. <laughs> but just bring it back to mind. You now, my brother, when he was small, I remember this. Dad would fix steak. And Brian would, would chew the meat for a little while, and then he'd put it in his cheek. He put it in his cheek because he wanted to get all the flavor and juice and goodness out of it. That's what God is calling us to. That's what Paul's pointing us to. We're supposed to meditate on Scripture. We're supposed to ponder on it. Think about it. Muse over it. But we live in a fast-paced world, right? We want Come on. Pick it up, Pastor. It's already almost uh, 22. You've got you to speed this up. You know, we like to gulp things down and just get out the door. But that's not how we're supposed to work. Paul says, dwell on these things, Paul says. Dwell on these things. Now, Paul has given us here in this text what we could technically call, and I think this might be a math term. I don't know, I didn't ask the mathematician in my house. But Paul is, by saying the words these things, he's talking about a bounded set. There's only certain things that go in that set. In other words, Paul says, dwell on these things and not on those things. See, there's some exclusivity here. What Paul says to dwell on is necessarily exclusive. There's some things that are excluded that we're not supposed to think on. So think about uh, the the opposite of what Paul commands in verse 8. So we're not to think on what is false, what's dishonorable, what is against God's law or is impure, is unlovely, is of ill repute, that lacks excellence and is unworthy of praise. We're supposed to not think on those things because Paul says dwell on these things. I'm afraid that a lot of times, I think it's guilty too much of the time in my own life, we think in terms of things that You know, we exclude those things. We don't think on those things. You know, I don't think on what's false, or I aim to not think on what's dishonorable or against God's law, so on and so forth. That's what I aim to do. But I want to remind us of a parable that I love to come to. It's in Matthew 12, verses 43 to 45. And Jesus says here, He says, Now when an unclean spirit Goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will also be with this evil generation. Now, how does that come to bear on what we were talking about this morning in Philippians 4.8? Well, t- by, by implication, Paul saying, think on these things, not those things. And I want you to know, just because you're, you're aiming to not think on those things, it doesn't necessarily mean you're thinking on these things. You, you follow what I'm saying here? Because you think about this house. okay? So let's say that our mind is like like that house that Jesus describes here. And we want to get rid of things that are negative, that are wrong, that bring uh, ill repute on God, that are not for His glory and not for our good. We want to put those out of our mind. But notice what He says here. He says, those unclean spirits, the, the unclean spirit... It leaves that house but it comes back and it finds that all that's happened in the house is it's swept and put in order. There's nothing in the house to protect it. So that's why it goes. And it gets seven other spirits and comes back and it's worse than it was at the first. So when Paul says these things, he's, it's, he's necessarily exclusive. But he's also necessarily inclusive. We think about this parable and how it it pertains to our mind. Think of it this way. You may have swept those things from your house. But it does not necessarily mean you are dwelling on these things that Paul has in the text. Jesus pointed out a group of people that that last statement I just made was true about. It's a group called the Pharisees. He says, he called them so many times. uh, in, In one particular instance, he says, you are whitewashed tombs. You're whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look good, but inside you are full of dead men's bones. They had swept those things from their house, but inwardly they were not dwelling on these things. So there's a warning for us. There's a warning for us here. Yes, we're supposed to put away things that don't honor God, put them out of our mind, but just because we do that, we're only halfway there. And if we don't necessarily dwell on the inclusive things that Paul said, we'll be like that house. And we could be worse off than we were before. So Paul gives us a bounded set these things. Think about these things. But notice he doesn't provide a complete list of all these things for us to dwell on. And and I personally think, you may disagree with me, I think it's good that Paul didn't give us a list as much as you might want him to have done so. Because here's what a list will often do for us. A list will turn us into to-do list, box-checking legalists. Or others might look at a list and go, how in the world could I ever hope in a million years to do that? But notice the way the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this verse. And in in the way that he wrote it, it invites us to leave behind our checklists. And it invites us to put aside feelings of, oh, this is so overwhelming, why should I even start? It invites us to plunge ourselves into the deep end of experiencing the fullness of Christ in our Christian life with respect to our minds. Notice how Paul writes it. He says, whatever, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if any excellence, and if Anything worthy of praise. That opens things pretty wide there. And notice there's variety. Truth, honor, justice, rightness, righteousness, so on. And also notice here how the Holy Spirit instructed Paul to write this. It's simple enough for children to understand, right? It's simple. But yet as we grow in our faith, we're going to find that there's more depth Glorious depth and complexity as we mature in Christ. So Paul, in a sense, is calling us in our minds to this great adventure of being able to meditate on all of these glorious truths. He's given us a sampling of Christian virtues for the mind. It's not It's not exhaustive. He could have probably told us more. But what he intends for us to grasp here is, is these are the kinds of things that we as Christians not just should think about, we must think about. We must think about these things. I want you to notice in the list, if there was someone in this room today absolutely was not a Christian, they would instinctively understand what Paul wrote in the list. True, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, excellent, worthy of praise, they would instinctively understand those things, right? So they're not uh, complex. They're not difficult. But the dilemma is, and we know this nowadays, is how are these words defined? Who decides how these words are defined? And better yet, now we know who who decides how these words are defined. It comes from the Word of God. We know that. But better yet, whose definition Are we using? It's one thing to know what the right definition is, but it's a totally different thing if we don't use it, if we use a different definition. We know in our world there is confusion of categories, is there not? Our, Our latest Supreme Court justice in her confirmation was asked, what is a woman? And she said, I'm not a biologist. Here's what what the scripture says about that. Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but in the end its way is death you look at this world, you look at the West, and see how there is confusion of categories and redefining words, it is important that if we're going to look at this list, we've got to understand where does the definition come from. And again here, we think of exclusivity. Paul gives us a bounded set, dwell on these things, not those things, these things, and dwell upon these things as defined in these ways. Too often, our world, we look to ourselves to define something. We come to some some common denominator definition for something. And and over time, those common denominator definitions, they're just getting lowered and lowered. The the, the ground underneath them is crumbling. So it's obvious we need something outside of us that transcends us to, to give definition to these words. So in other words, you know where I'm going. These words in Paul's list must be defined by the word of God. Because 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us this. All scripture is inspired by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We turn to the word to know what true means. True means it conforms to reality. But we have to add a caveat to that. As defined by scripture. Not outside of Scripture. It's true as defined by Scripture. Something is honorable if it honors God. It's pure if it conforms to the holiness of God. It's lovely if it conforms to the beauty of God. It's of good repute if it exists or it happens for the fame of God's name. It's excellent if it conforms to the high standards of God. It's worthy of praise, but to God. Not just to the thing in and of itself. So when we think about how are we going to define these words, we, we define them in accordance with the Word, the Word of God. But then also, we must think of defining it this way. Not only the Word of God, but the Word. The Word became flesh. And dwelled among us. I'm talking about Christ. So there's a connection I want us to make here. When we necessarily dwell on these things. Not those things. These things. The list that Paul gave us. That list. And aiming to dwell on it. Should naturally lead us. To dwelling on Christ. It should naturally lead us. To thinking about Jesus. I wonder do we want christian things or do we want Christ? Too often, I think we f- we fall prey to the idolatry of christian things and don't press on to know Christ. So in other words, we're kind of like Israel. We want the promised land. We want all the blessings. We want freedom from enemies. We don't necessarily want God. And how we look back at Israel's history and how they're, they're at times in the presence of many good things, they were empty on the inside. You know, you, you can go into most homes and you'll find... Bibles, and you'll find scripture verses on the wall, and you'll find all kinds of things. There's all kinds of Christian things there, but the question is is Christ there? I I wonder if one of our major problems in the church in the West is this we want Christian things, but we don't necessarily want Christ. So, to bring this all together, I want us to do this just for a few moments. This is a way to kind of demonstrate how do we dwell upon Christ in this verse. We look at, at, at Philippians 4 verse 8. And we want to do what it says. There are these things that Paul has given to us. We want to dwell on them. If we're going to dwell on them, we, buy, we necessarily ought to be dwelling on Christ. So how do we do this? Well, I want you to think about yourself before you came to Christ. Think about the carnal man before coming to Christ. And, and think about reading this. You pick up this Bible and you, it says, whatever is true, what's honorable, what's right, what's pure, lovely, good repute, any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. You think I can do that. I, I can do that. Okay, do you mean you can dwell dwell on those things as defined by the world? By culture? By society, yeah, you probably can do that. But if you understand the definition of those things and how they come from God, you'll quickly find that you'll be telling yourself, I can't think of these things. My mind is broken. I don't dwell on these things. I dwell on those things. And you might take a step further and, and, and realize that if thinking on these things is a way to begin to possess those virtues, then you don't possess any of them. In fact, you possess the opposite of them. So you think, well, I'm going to try and clean up my sin with, with virtue. It's a lesser form of virtue because what we do is we wind up comparing ourselves to one another. See, so I'm not as bad as that person, so that makes me a virtuous person, in my own eyes but I'm still before the Lord broken and condemned. So what where, where is my hope? Well God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, his perfect son who came and, and possessed all of these virtues that Paul has in this list. He possessed them because he was and is those things. In Christ's incarnation, he was perfectly virtuous, perfectly righteous, no sin. He was everything that I was not. But that's not why Christ came, not just to live. He came to live the perfect, virtuous, and righteous life. But that perfect and virtuous one... Nailed to a Roman cross. And he paid the penalty for sin. He became a curse to redeem his people. And he died. But yet he was, was raised. And so when we think about the message of Christ, that's one of these things that Paul is, is helping us to, to understand. That's something we should dwell on. How this perfect Christ who embodied everything in this list, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him this virtuous and righteous one who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, this is what's true now. Before before you come, uh, come to Christ, you're carnal. You're unable to think. God's thoughts after him. But yet, God did not leave us in that place. He sent his son to die in our place, to be raised for our justification, so that all who trust in Christ, these things that Paul talks about, they are are ours. We are those things in Christ. See, God looks at his... Redeemed, those who are under the blood of Christ. And he sees these things as if He's they are in his son. They, he sees those things because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. So God looks at us and he sees those things. They're justified. And having been justified, they're regenerated by grace through faith. Now, before I was a carnal man. Now I'm a Christian. I've been born again by grace through faith. And now Christ lives in me. And where before I was unable to pursue Christlikeness. I was unable to to know what was true and honorable. To think about those things and to pursue those things. But that's not true anymore. Because now I'm able to pursue Christlikeness in the power of the Spirit. By dwelling on Christ in the Word. And I find that these things I'm able to think on. And these things I find in the word and I look to Christ and I see them and him in me I I sit with him and I dwell with him and he teaches me from his word and helps me to see where I I fall short and how he's empowering me to go. To grow. You know, every day that we spend time doing what we just did or You know, we dwelt on these things before I ever got up here. We sang four songs to help us dwell on these things. Every day that we spend time doing that, it draws us and our wondering hearts into the worship of the one who was and who is these things. And we depend on him to transform us. And we trust that he will put these things on display in our lives as we strive with all our being to live them out. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, and all of that is found in Christ and dwell on these things. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for this scripture. It's so easy for us, Lord, to look at it and make it a checklist and perhaps totally to forget Christ and to be unknowingly pagan in our approach to having a virtuous mind. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us that if we dwell on Christ, we think about Him, what He did on the cross, and look to Him and find all of these virtues, that as we dwell on Him, we will be dwelling on those virtues. Help us, Lord, not to separate these virtues from Christ as everything that we need to dwell upon is bound up in Him. So draw our hearts and our minds to him, that we might dwell on him and be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing Trust and Obey. Should you need to make any sort of decision, please do so while we sing. To listen to me sing. Just a few updates. I continue to pray for for Zach and his family, extended family. And the loss of Judge. Last week was a really busy week for them. They had funeral, and then uh, Judge was uh, committed at uh, the state cemetery, and that's a that's a that's a big honor. So continue to pray for that family. Pray for uh, Becky and Dennis Fabry. That is Nell Hedricks. Um, daughter and son-in-law, Dennis um, is mostly paralyzed, except for I think his right arm a little bit. He's in a nursing home down in uh, Victoria. Uh, so continue to pray for him. It's a stressful time for Dennis and Becky. I pray for Joey Gordon. Um, his dad Clement is um, is basically non-responsive. He's he's fighting cancer. He's near the end of his life. So pray for Clement. Uh, continue to pray for Geneva Braun. Uh, and as far as I know, Geneva is still in the hospital. Is, have you heard anything different, Sue? As far as I know, she's still in the hospital. Uh, she had some intestinal issues and uh, had some problems with her lungs. Uh, when I went to see her toward the end of last week, she looked really good, sounded really good. I was really encouraged by what I saw when I walked in the door. But she still needs to get her white blood cell count down so that they can move her uh, to a rehab facility in Lana. I uh, pray for the Henniger family. I know that that was a, a tragic thing that happened in San Saba the other day. I know that affected the community, the families. Um, you know, one, uh, Brandon and I were talking about this, I guess, on Friday, and, and I think we all a- agree with this uh, that only the Lord can, can go into a situation like this one and bring redemption. You know, from outside looking in, the world just says, Oh, that's just a a loss. Um, And it is. It's a huge, it's a tragic loss. But if we learn anything from the cross, I mean, we just talked about how the virtuous and righteous one, the only one who ever lived, you look at it from the outside in, it looks like a tragic loss. But something great came from it. And that's why we have hope that, that we pray that this situation, As tragic as it is, if God can do great things through his son on the cross, through a seeming tragedy, he can do the same here, and we pray for that. Also, uh, pray for for Nell Hedrick. Um, She had her surgery. She's doing well. She she said the surgery has already made her feel better. So she's hoping to get back to church and hoping to be able to to drive before long. Pray for the Rose Gray family. Rose passed away uh, on Friday. And uh, we are uh, planning the funeral. Hopefully it's going to be on Tuesday. But uh, pray for George and for the girls. Also pray for Vernon Brister. Uh, Vernon is going to be having some treatments done on uh, his bladder uh, for some cancerous tumors that they found. It's going to start in May. Um, I'm not aware of any other updates unless you you all have some. Anything you want to bring before the church in need of prayer? right. Well, let's stand. I'll say a brief word of prayer. You pray along with me, and then we'll say the Great Commission, and we'll be dismissed. Father, our hearts are broken when we look at what happened in San Sabbath. It looks so meaningless, um, so evil. We're grateful that we have the cross and the empty tomb. And I pray, Lord, that um, the families of those who died, uh, the young boy, uh, Lord, that, that one day, if not today, that one day, the cross and the empty tomb could just under they could understand it so well, not just intellectually, but it would, it would impact them so greatly that they say only God could bring out the good that we're all, that we're experiencing now. So I pray, God, in this instance, that you would work good, that you would do the miraculous. Lord, we lift up those that, um, the families that have lost loved ones and those who have a loved one who's near death. We know that they need comfort and peace. We know that... Um, A a felt sense of your presence is calming to them, so please, Lord, be with them. For those that are recovering from surgeries, pray your continued blessing upon them as they heal. And, Lord, for those that are continuing some other kind of fight, whether it's against um, an injury, a sickness, an ailment that they battle from day to day, we pray that you would give them what they need in their time of need. Lord, we love you and praise you pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. Let's say the great commission together. And Jesus came and said to them, Amen.